savings. Finally, print out your True Car Savings Certificate and take it to the True Car Certified Dealer for a hassle-free buying experience. Save time, save money, and never overpay. Visit TrueCar.com today. That's TrueCar.com. Hello, this is William Easton, your host for a revolutionary new approach to small business success, Richmond Biz Live on WLEE News Talk 990 AM. You can start by checking out our website at richmondbizlive.com and download your program schedule. You'll find it in the resources section. Join us every Saturday at 10 o'clock for Richmond Helping Richmond, one hour of information, techniques, and tools that you can use to achieve your dream. Clear your calendar and join in every Saturday at 10 o'clock on WLE News Talk 990 for the most important hour in your week. Good morning, Richmond. What a beautiful day at 308 Broad Street. This is Richmond Biz Live, a business talk show focusing on growing existing businesses. In fact, our motto around here, the older the better. If you think about it, it's time for your company to perform and pay you back for the years of no checks and all the blood, sweat, and tears you put into it. And if you have the same opinion as I have of your business, you're at the right spot. Join us as uh, we take our journey of growing Richmond's economy one company at a time. And you can call in and be part of that. Make make your company the subject of today's conversation at 844-249-5483. That's 844-249-5483. Or for those of you in the car, I make it even easier, 844.biz. Live. Okay, we are here in the studios of WLE News Talk 990 in beautiful Richmond. And what I want to say is that as we get started, is every segment, every topic is authored by business experts that also run a business. What you hear here every Saturday at 10.06 is not theory. It's how we, how we actually run our businesses. So join us here where you have rich business leaders uh, helping other Richmond businesses grow and become successful. Okay, this week, our topics are going to focus on positioning the company to make a breakthrough. Uh, each topic is organized into a 10-minute conversation, kind of like our, our own TED conference, our Radio TED. And it's going to answer three questions. First question is going to be, why is this particular piece of information critical to me? Number two, how do I benefit? How does my company, if we move ahead with this, what's the benefits I can expect as the business owner, the entrepreneur, the founder? And then finally, how do I get it done? And I realize in a 10-minute segment, it's hard to do that. So part of this is you've got to go to our website, and you've got to take a look at our resources section, and you've got to download the latest bit of materials. Everything we do is up on the website, and that is richmondbizlive.com, richmondbizlive.com. So uh, our origins, uh, as we get ready for our first segment today, uh, this started about a year ago when I was sitting in my office at 10 o'clock on a Saturday I'm in the B2B business. I don't. I have Saturdays off because I'm not in retail. And what am I doing on a Saturday morning? Well, I'm looking at four things. I'm looking to see if the company's on plan, which is how are we doing in marketing and sales? Are we on schedule, which has to do with anything that we promised we would do that week? What are the status of cases, which looks at customer complaints? And then finally, are we on budget? Are we making money? And specifically, I'm looking at cash flow because it doesn't matter what the book says. What matters to me is what's in the cigar box. And the money that's in there is what I actually have to spend that week. And I was sitting there thinking, how powerful would it be if we had a radio show over TV? Because obviously TV, you got to watch it. You can't, you, you can't focus on something else. But a radio show that was having a conversation about exactly these issues that I'm trying to solve. And because of that, I figured we need a radio show that's going to help people run their businesses right, 
grow their companies, and generate wealth for themselves and for their families. So that kind of gets us here. Um, and what I'd like to do now is I'd like to introduce uh, a good friend and somebody who has been working on the financial part of small businesses, um, and that is Linda Heath from Financial Holographics. And uh, so welcome back to the show, Linda. Thank you so much, Bill. Good morning, and how are you? I am doing great. Beautiful day to be in Richmond. Absolutely. Well, you know, you signed me the topic of restructuring debt, and I sort of thought that might be a bit of cart before horse. Okay. You know, so I'm going to focus on the productive uses of debt. But before I go into that, I've got to tell you about something I did on Thursday that was so much fun. It was a Richmond Forum event, and it was their annual venture summit. It was held at the Virginia Historical Museum, and the um, they had a keynote speaker who is a co-founder of Relay Foods. Okay. They have broken the code on home food delivery, and they're also opening up channels for private local farms and specialty food producers to get to the home consumer. They had three great panels with venture capitalists of providing different types of financing. Wow. They had lenders. They had companies that have used various types of financing, talking about their experience and how you pitch it. They had CEOs of innovative companies. They had a David and Goliath panel that included a small business, a medium-sized business, and a representative of Capital One, oh, okay. the Goliath. Uh, so we, have, we got a big boy there. We did. We did, and their perspective was great. And it turned out that a lot of times some of the issues are the same as the Davids. It's just got more commas and zeros involved. <laughs> that is true. I, you know, I wish I could have gone to that. I heard about it, but uh, I was down in southwest Virginia. I didn't tell you That's that right. I've taken over, and I'm I'm now running a manufacturing company for Woo-hoo! a couple months. <laughs> yeah, well, that'll be well, good. Well, I'm going to be counting on you for real Well, I'm going to probably take up drinking here pretty soon. Okay, well, uh, the highlight of the whole event, the, really the focus, were the 10 companies and one wild yeah. card that actually did their 10-minute TED pitch. They are looking for capital. And some of them, most of them were at revenue. A few weren't. Um, and I, I was just uh, blown away at the types of companies. Many of them were Richmond. There was one out of D.C. There was a, there were a couple out of Charlottesville. But, for example, there's one company offering a way online to try on your clothes virtually so you don't make those blue, you know, you don't buy the yeah. pair of pants that's too small. There was try a your company, clothes on virtually. Wow. Yeah, there was a company that is a new way of collecting payments and bypassing credit card fees. Um, there was another one that's converting chickpeas into a sustainable alternative protein source and they said it's delicious they were talking about chickpea brownies but they didn't have any samples yes there's an online tool if you ever have to to rent out your old house because you didn't sell it they've got online tools so you too can be a successful landlord and um, one that really intrigued me was a system for tracking labor hours on job sites and that will absolutely transform the construction industry so it was fascinating to oh i'm interested in that because i got some installation teams gotcha but we will cycle back that to that. Are, I believe that one of the problems that we're having right now is that our margins are so close yeah, that and we're labor paying costs. people to build cabinets for them. Whoa. Okay. Well, we will cycle back to okay. that. Um, I do want to give out a shout-out to the Summit sponsors. Okay. Uh, first was LeClaire Ryan, which is a national law firm that started here. Andrew White is a partner there. He's been president of the Venture Forum. And actually, Gary LeClaire incorporated my very first business when I was a startup, and his wow. his firm was almost a startup. And then the other group, Scott Ucrop, has become a director of Fahrenheit, the Fahrenheit Group, and Rich Ronick has been the CEO of Fahrenheit oh, Finance. Rich. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he's Rich. been the chair of the summit for years, and they do a phenomenal job every year. Um, it gets better and better. And um, I got a chance to meet Scott and tell him that we talked about his family's financial legacy in um, our inaugural show. Oh, did, did you think that was cool? Yes. 
So, um, <laughs> yes, he wants he wants to know about our podcast. Anyway, oh, okay. we need to get get on top. All right, let's but, roll. Um, our three questions are: What's the difference between short term debt and long term debt? What's the difference between debt and equity? And what's um, how do you get the right mix between them? Okay. And so, um, short term debt is any kind of financing where your terms with the lender you have to pay it back in the next twelve months. Prime example is a line of credit, and that's mm-hmm. why I flinched two weeks ago when we said cash flow, and everybody goes, oh, cash flow is tight. I need a line of credit. Well, you have to pay it back in a year. The bank can pull it out from under you in a year, and a lot of times the need is much longer term, like the companies you're working with. They need two right. or three years to solve In fact, we just, we just did a line of credit in uh, December, and yeah, we're acting as if it's gone uh, this December. So, uh, in other words, pay it back. Right, yeah. right, right. Um, so the best way to use a line of credit is when you have a, a need that truly goes up and down, and it generates its own source of repayment. Okay. The example would be um, you're in a retailer, and you go to all the trade shows in July and August, and you have to make your decisions for your purchases for Christmas and holiday and so forth, maybe your gift shop. You have to place the order now because guess where the product is coming from? Oh, mm-hmm. yes, it's on the slow boat from China. And to have it in your store stocked up right in time to celebrate Halloween and Thanksgiving with Christmas decorations. Um, You're not going to sell that product until your season, and you're not really going to collect all the money back on that inventory you've purchased. You've had to pay your suppliers. So that's a perfect use of a line of credit. So you may, may, in that example, you may have invested six months of rare cash. Correct. Into that, and it's going to be six months before you get paid back. That's right. You collect it all. You'll collect it a little as you go. Right. Um, Another example of short-term financing might be that you're a contractor or you work on projects. This could apply to a software company, maybe even a staffing company, different types of businesses. But you have to carry payroll for the first maybe even six weeks, two, four, six weeks before your customer starts paying you. You send them an invoice after your employees have done the two weeks worth of work. Amen. Right? Right. You send them the invoice, and they decide, we're the big company. We'll pay it in 45 days. So you've got maybe six or eight weeks of payroll. Mm-hmm. So you've got to have some money to carry it. But once that customer starts paying the bill, if it's right. a profitable contract for you, yeah. you know, if you've got your labor mix and your pricing right, then um, you'll begin to pay back down on that line of credit. And when you get your next customer and your next project, you can go back into the line, get the money you need to carry it until the customer starts paying that bill for you. Got it. Um if cash flow is tight and you don't know that you're losing money, that's not a good reason for a line of credit. If your bank is smart, they'll figure that out and you'll be turned yeah. down. And you'll be mad at the bank, but they may have done you a huge favor. That's right, because we, we, it was dicey for us. We, we just had a great track record. Uh, the owner of the company over 27 years had a great track record, and the bank trusts him. So, so you mentioned 27 years. The, other, uh, the next thing is long-term debt. Long-term debt is... Um, you borrow the money now, you pay it back gradually, typically in monthly payments, right. over a longer period of time than a year. So it's you're financing a piece of equipment that's going to last you for five years. You try to get a five-year loan, but a three-year loan might work. Um, you want to pay it back from profits. And the um, you're buying a building. Mm-hmm. You're investing in new equipment to expand your capabilities, expand your, your line of business, right. and so forth. Um but it's installment payments, and most people can re- relate to that in terms of buying a car, buying a house. Same thing for the business. Okay, so and so there's a there's a model to make the difference between short term and long term of what you. Go That's for. right, and we and we'll have resources on the website for that. Um, so the difference is is equity, and so many people think 
equity has kind of become that invisible business partner. You will not believe how many loans I've underwritten in the last few years where it's all debt. They're upside down in their business. The best way to relate this is you have a house. Your house has a market value. It's an asset. It has a value. You have a mortgage against it. That's the liability. If there's a positive difference between the value of the house and your mortgage debt, you have equity in that house. But when your mortgage debt exceeds the value of that house, you are upside down. And I see businesses where this is the same thing. Equity is important. They need to make profits. They need to retain profits in the business as part of the capital structure. Debt is not the only way. And and if it's all debt, it's a serious problem. Okay. So, you know, we can't do justice in this topic based on um, when you think about all the books and courses and so forth. But here's what they said yesterday in the Venture Forum. This would be the takeaway for our listeners. Okay. First of all, the lender said, and I've said this before, but it was really nice hearing it from the podium. He said, it's a huge mistake to borrow too much money, and it's a huge mistake to borrow too little. Amen. Okay, so here's part two of that. He said, if you come to me and say, tell me how much I qualify for, tell me how much our business qualifies for, and I'll just make it work. He said, I'm not lending you money because you're my industry partner. You're supposed to know what it takes to run your business. Isn't that a great perspective? Oh, that that's, a, that's an awesome. I'm glad to hear awesome. that. So, you know, we always think of the banks. They're supposed to be my partner. They're supposed to lend me money. But he's going, yeah, but you're my outlet to place money and earn interest. You're right. my industry partner. You should know what it takes to run your business. And if you don't, I already know you're a bad credit risk. Well, you don't know your business. I mean, one of the things you're saying is you're not very competent in your business because you don't know what you, you you almost don't know what you're going to do with the money well i'd like to tweak it i think you may be very competent in your business and how to make money and so forth but you're not an expert in finance okay and so the recommendation would be um if this isn't your bailiwick if you didn't go to college to become a cpa or didn't do something else and finance isn't your bailiwick it's a science it's part art part science get experts to work with you okay. and uh, i don't know if you have any other tidbits that you've learn from your research uh no the only thing that i did and why the reason we call the segment uh restructured debt was that most of these companies have wrong debt in other words you, you, they've they've got short-term debt that should be uh, you know long-term debt and long-term debt that should be short-term debt and then they've, they've got no equity and they've you know right. it, it they've done a bad job and broken the banks, business and the it's banks haven't business. done a good job of helping them make the right decisions absolutely if you give me a chance to talk about that i will on a future show oh i will do that so uh so uh linda uh how do the people reach you? How do they get in touch with you to reach me through LinkedIn and mention that they're a listener on the show? Okay, through LinkedIn, and of course you can go to our resources page at richmondbizlive.com uh, uh, and pick it up there. So, and with that, we'll be back. Hello, I'm Linda Heath, president of Financial Holographics, and your chief business analyst. Our accounting and finance experts solve business mysteries for CEOs. 80% of private companies are struggling. Only 5% have it made. Where are you? Join me Saturday mornings at Richmond Biz Live for live answers to your nagging questions. Sponsored by Financial Holographics, where you don't have to know what to ask for to get what you need. Hi, my name is Eric McCallum, CEO of the Firestarter Group. With over 75 years of collective experience, our team of experts works relentlessly to uncover your organization's unique identity, focusing on the most effective means of communicating your brand. We believe successful branding establishes an emotional connection between an organization and its target audiences. The days of old business models are over. It's time to rethink your business. Welcome to Firestarter. Visit us at firestartergroup.com or richmondbizlive.com. 
can take our complimentary 30-second brain audit to gauge where your brand is at today. And we're back. And if you want to join us, you want to be the company that we're talking about today, and we'll do it nicely, I promise, is 844-249-5483. That's 844-249-5483. And now we're going to move from finance. We're going to move over into branding and strategy. And with me is my colleague and business partner, uh, Charles Carley. Morning, Charles. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. So, hey, we're, you know, we've, we've made the transition now. We're on show... Um, we're on show seven. So what we've done is we've gone from branding and we're now beginning to make that move over into strategy. So let's talk about that today. Well, I'll go back to something you said last time. Uh, you said that you agreed with me that brand is bigger than marketing. And uh, actually, it drives strategy. Right. Uh, it comes before strategy. So um, in thinking about that, I'll go back to my definition of branding. Definition of branding uh, I got from David Martin, who uh, the founder of the Martin Agency, and he said that a brand is an expectation of performance. And I'll, again, go back to what you said before. It's a promise. Um, so in thinking of that in today's subject, uh, we're talking about achieving top of mind uh, and also adding value and looking at the difference between existing customers and new customers. Um, so... To me, the big issue out there right now is the fact that there is clutter. Uh, I was reading Fast Company magazine the other day, and it said that we are receiving about 5,000 marketing messages per day. Wow. I went, I went back and looked at 2007. In 2007, we were looking at between 1,200 and 2,000 marketing messages a day. Now, that led me to go to the grocery store. Well, actually, my wife led me to go to the grocery store. But uh, while I was there... I actually counted the number of varieties of salad dressing. Want to take a guess? Uh, 40. 178. 178. Different wow. types of salad dressing. Wow. So now we've got a choice issue as well uh, that people are now going, oh, my goodness, how do I choose between 178 salad dressings? That's right. Uh, then I went, well, for my son, I then went to the electronics store. And while I was there, I kind of did a little bit of math, but I have to admit, I can't do this math. Linda probably can do this math. So I went online, and I did some research, and I found that at the local electronics store here in town, you can get 6.2 diff- million, 6.2 million different combinations of home entertainment systems. 6.2 million different combinations of home entertainment systems. How many of you are going to research every one of those combinations? Yeah, well, we got none on that, I think. Exactly, exactly. So we've got a red ocean of competitors. I mean, they're out there competing, swim around like sharks after bait, and we're the bait, the customers. So I'll give you a couple of the wrong answers. One of the wrong answers is to just do more stuff. Right. If you just keep adding capabilities and capabilities and capabilities, People will get confused, they don't understand who you are, and they will just go to somebody else. The second wrong answer is build a great product and people will find you. Build it and they will come. Doesn't work. You can build a great product and some people may find you, but if you really want to be successful, there's another level to that. Right. And that goes back to being a strong brand um, and having a great strategy for that brand. Now, to me, the first question then comes, who controls the brand? Does okay. the company control the brand? Oh, that's an interesting question. Well, I Who believe should it, control the brand. Well, I think it's uh, several different 
audiences, I guess, control the brand. Your company controls the brand in that it has to position itself. But the customer controls the brand in that they're the one making the choice, and actually they do a lot of communicating about your brand for you as well. Uh, also, you've got things like the media, uh, kind of what we're doing here today. Um, we're talking about different brands. Uh, Linda was talking about the Venture Forum and mentioned several of the companies that were there. Uh, so she was helping control their brand to a certain extent. Um, but to me, it's an intersection of two different audiences. It's the company itself saying, what do we value? What do we stand for? What do we have a passion for? And finding the intersection between that and what your customer values and what basically they want and desire and they need. Um, if you can find that intersection, that's okay. the sweet spot of your brand. Now, once you've found that, how do you differentiate yourself from the competition? Okay. That's the big, big thing for me. Um, years ago, I read a book called The Experience Economy. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I, I, I saw the title. I didn't read it. Okay. Well, it talks about avoiding what I call the commodity trap. Well, commodity is something that's the same as something else. There's no right. differentiation. Um, strange analogy, but imagine you're a mother back in the 1920s, and you're going to have a birthday party for your five-year-old child. What are you going to do? You're going to make a cake. Right. And how are you going to make that cake? You're going to use eggs and flour and uh -huh. milk, and those are commodities. An egg is an egg. You that's know, right. Back. Okay. So... Then along in the 50s comes along Betty Crocker and Duncan Hines, and they put all the different ingredients together into a mix. That's a product. Right. So they added value to it by making it a product. Okay. Well, then comes along bakeries that bake 400 different types of cakes, and you can just call them and tell them what type of cake you want, and they will have it ready for you, and you go pick it up. But, and that's a service, but today... We have these places, and I will admit that I do not like this place very much. Uh, that's probably a negative uh, All right. to for their brand. But uh, you have the Chuck E. Cheeses of the world that will provide the birthday experience for you. Right. Now, let's look at that for a second. On one axis, you've got truth or uh, differentiation. You, you, let's call it differentiation. Uh, a commodity is not very differentiated. A product's a little bit more differentiated. Right. A service is even more, and an experience is totally differentiated. That's right. On the other side, you've got relevance. Mm -hmm. Commodity is not very relevant to what the mother wanted to do in the example. She wanted to have a birthday party for her child. Right. It's a means. Right. The product then gives you a little bit more relevance. The okay. service, even more relevance, but the experience provides the entire party for that child. Well, and it's the goal. Right. Now, let's look at the side that the business wants to understand. A commodity costs very little. A product, a little bit more. A service, a little bit more. An experience can be extremely high on both value and price. If you get there, you also have a better chance of creating a relationship with your customer. Right. That can be ongoing. That could actually influence them into becoming your best sales force or being your brand ambassador. So... Creating experiences is one of the things that I encourage almost every business I work with to do. Well, not almost, every business. Right. Even if you're a manufacturer, I think you can have a, an experience for your customer. Well, the customer has an experience when they buy. Right. So right. you get, if nothing else, it's the whole buying process as well as the receiving of the goods. 
and the using of the goods. Right. The consumption of the goods, absolutely. Um, And we talk a lot about user interface in the computer world, but I think user interface with anything that you're selling is very important. And so that's why it's so important to have everybody inside your organization on the same page and understanding how to communicate the brand in a way that provides that experience. And that's why when we talked about the internal organizational values must equal the brand, otherwise the customer doesn't get the experience they've been promised. Right, right. How to create that experience. Well, a great uh, – I love to read, so you're going to hear a lot of books. Right. Uh, Blue Ocean Strategy, great book. Excellent book. I've read it, and I know the authors. Yes, really good. I think you should map your competitor's offering and then look at your own offering and say, what should I – and this may surprise people – what should I eliminate from my current offering? What should I reduce in what I'm currently offering? And also, on the other side, what should I increase – and what should I create? I mean, think about companies like Southwest Airlines and uh, Cirque du Soleil. They took an industry by storm by being very different than their competitors. Very different. But not just different, more relevant to the needs of their customers. Yep. So that's what I'm talking about today is that how do we cut through the clutter? You find that uniqueness and that remarkableness by looking at that that intersection of what you want to stand for, because you believe a company has to stand for something, right? not just looking at providing whatever the customer wants. But it's that overlap between what you stand for, what the customer wants and values, mm-hmm. and providing that. And I'll go back to, the, if I have two seconds, I'll, I'd ahead. love to. Go ahead. David Martin had one other, other great example, the way to explain this. It's called the brand Apple. Have you ever bought Apple? Yeah, I have. You go to the grocery store, and you buy the apple not by what's at the center of the apple, right? You can't really see that. Right. At the core, there are these things called seeds. And that's where the life of the apple comes from. So that's really, in a way, the most important part of an apple. But that's not why you buy the apple, right? Mm -hmm. You buy the apple for the meat of that apple, right? Right. How can you tell whether that meat is any good or not? Well, you got to look at the container, the skin. You look at the skin. Now, let's think about the meat and the skin. The meat are the rational benefits of your company. Mm-hmm. The skin are the emotional benefits of your company. A lot of companies never get to thinking about the emotional benefits of what they do. I think that's the key to understanding what your intersection is going to be, is not only the rational benefits that connect back to that life force of those seeds, but what is the emotional benefits? And a word I bring in there, and I think it goes to everybody, is the word trust. If you can figure out the emotional benefits that will help your customer trust you, then you'll succeed. Okay. All right, so Charles, how do they, obviously, more to do than we can cover in 10 minutes. Oh, no doubt. How, how do they get in touch with you? Um, they can get in touch with me a couple different ways. Uh, through our website, firestartergroup.com, or uh, I have a blog that uh, hasn't been updated in a while, but a lot of this information is in there. It's called The Brand Roadmap, and it's at Charles Colley dot blogspot.com okay and i'll tell you what we'll do is on the resource uh area we'll hook to your to your blog spot great. and so we'll get that up there Wonderful. charles once again great great seeing you i could talk Thanks to you so for much. hours yeah it's been a, been a pleasure thank okay. you okay have Take a great day um the, the the thing i want to say about that as uh as we get prepared to talk a little bit more about uh sales one of my favorite subjects especially how to pay salespeople, and and what charles hit upon is that as a business owner, and I think we did this a couple of weeks ago, at least my memory says we have, 
is that as a, as a company, you've only got three propositions about how to make money. One is you're a price leader and you sell it for less than anybody else, Walmart. Uh, number two is that you build superior products and services and they are beyond uh, what the competition can do. And so you're known for the quality of your offer, uh, such as Mercedes. And then the third one is the experience that the customer has, uh, what was called customer intimate about 20 years ago, the experience that the customer has with you. And that all successful companies have one of the three that is their primary source of providing value. And then all those companies are pretty good at one other. And I think what Charles hit upon is the, the, the need for that customer intimate. And if you're not, if that's not part of your offer, you need to consider that. Okay, now we move into a topic that Mike and I had a chance to talk over the week about this one. And this, is, this one is more fun than a barrel of monkeys. And that is... How do I pay salespeople? Good to see you, Mike. How good, are you? Good to see you, Bill. Excited to be here. What a topic, huh? Oh, yeah. Spent yeah. a lot of time. And one of the things that you said, hey, let's lead off with why is it important. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of reasons. I think, first of all, uh, to really put it plainly, is uh, companies that, comp- that, that compensate and incent correctly grow faster, achieve and maintain sustainability, and they simply sell more. And at the same time, it will make your success or give you the ability to be more systematic yep. overall. Yeah, because uh, it, it you can't just do that. You just can't order it or command it. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And, and the other reason, if you look at the downside of not having uh, a good systematic earn rate, as you call it, comp plan, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the businesses that are using uh, – the wrong strategic tools. In other words, the the comp plan is too complicated. You ever seen those? Oh yeah. Well, you can't figure it out. You know, you need a degree in math to figure out how to how do I make money. Yeah. So when you got a, a plan that's too complicated or erroneous, uh, then what happens is you're going to really stunt your sales growth, your profitability, yeah. and the, probably the most important thing is you're going to have unhappy people. Yeah. You and I were laughing about uh, this. I think it was Thursday we were talking. Uh, all comp plans work. You just don't like what you get a lot. That's right. That's right. You know, a couple of other things that makes it very important is that it really forces you to systematically attract uh, and um, to, to attract the best talent, okay? Uh, the other thing that uh, I think it requires you to really profile the position, you remember back in show one we talked about do we know what our sales category is are we transactional yep are we unique value are we consultative well in order to put a comp plan together you really do have to uh, look at hey what what are the behaviors what are the activities what are the skills what are the competencies that you need and this also kind of brings in the why executives need to be involved because they typically are going to be involved in setting the sales strategy okay yep uh well the sales strategy, and this is, I, I really I really work hard on this with my clients, but your strategy really determines the activities and behaviors that your people, your salespeople need mm-hmm. to go to the market with. Right. Okay. So, uh, and then the neat part about some of the benefits of what, um, you know, what a good comp plan does is that uh, it allows you to drive those behaviors and activities. It does. You know, so uh, also 
the one of the most important things is is it allows you uh, and you brought this up and I really hadn't looked at it you were saying is your earn rate on track and you were really going at it with from the direction hey when we hired these salespeople That's and right. I liked your 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 point on that is that when we hired them we we basically agreed there was to be a certain earn rate. That's right. Right? So that's another reason that you really do have to be in tune and that your comp plan is accurate and it's driving the right behaviors because if salespeople aren't earning what they thought they were going to earn, you have a problem. Yeah, because especially in some of the businesses where it's the customer who moves with the salesperson. And that is really dangerous because sure. if I'm not making the money you promised, then I'm going to go to a competitor and bring not only my accounts that I brought to you, but I might bring some of yours to them as well. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Well, the other thing is you want to look at it is, that, hey, we're driving the we're driving the most effective and efficient behaviors. Right. As well as that, um, a good comp plan uh, really motivates. You know, it it strives for superior performance, and I think the key there. Uh, you get happier, more com- committed, committed salespeople, and I think incentives can go beyond just a sales team. To, oh, oh well. yeah. Well, in fact, I, I've always thought, without getting too far afield, is that if we could figure out how to pay people who work in a company the way we pay salespeople, we could change the nature of any business. Yes. Imagine if we paid people for what they did rather than showing up. No, and I think you know the other, another benefit, and I'm sure you've seen this. If you've got a good comp plan. And most comp plans, uh, you could say they're variable because there's usually lots of variables involved. Mm-hmm. But what it does is it it really drives you drives you or management to be accurate. Okay, and if you if you if you ever seen plans that uh, that weren't accurate, you got salespeople spending as much time trying to figure out whether they got paid right. Right. Okay. Uh, but that's also, you see it come into play. Well, you know, if I, if Mike, if I was putting together a sales plan, one of the things you and I kicked around earlier in the week was this, is that I've seen some organizations where they have a draw and then they pay, they pay people um, beyond that draw. Some organizations pay bottom line. Some organizations pay top line. Some organizations mandate behaviors, like you've got to make five or ten cold calls a day. Other organizations pay mandated by paying you to do it because that's part of your draw right any thoughts you have on how to put together a good mix for your business excited to try to answer that okay <laughs> you heard try <laughs> because it's complex and then you better call linda in you better get linda in because the first thing you got to do is you got to know your numbers okay yes and so i, I want to go back and hit that because she, i remember linda talking about you better know your corporate break even well, in your business, you better know what your breaking even is on each sales transaction, Absolutely. whether it's yeah. order shipped or whatever, maybe a project. Or what. So uh, the other thing that Linda would tell you is research and benchmark, mm-hmm. try to find similar businesses and try to understand, hey, what is, what is my selling expense as a percentage to my sales, okay, okay. As, my, as my overall sales? So, and again, that's why you get a you got to get a numbers person on right. that. But to go and, and kind of break it down into the things that, that you and I were talking about, uh, you mentioned uh, draw. Uh, I think that when you put your plan together, you've got to 
again, this is all determined, again, the sales category. I mean, if right. you've got a people that got to be really good at relationship building, other people at prospecting, you got to really adjust your plan in accord with that. I, I do see that typically most people will go with some type of base salary. I don't right. know. I think you and I were talking about that yeah. maybe in yep. your position. But a base salary, and you've got to then determine what percentage of commission of the overall comp plan would be there. Right, because the base salary, we don't want people to the point where they're distracted day-to-day because they got to pay the bills. On the other hand, we don't want them to make enough money that they can pay all the bills. That's right. Because That's their problem. job there is to sell. Sure. Not to worry about whether they can pay their bills. Well, and, and you mentioned this. Uh, I think you were referencing that. And I've seen this where companies will pay on activities, as right. you and I were talking. Number of calls made. Maybe number even phone calls that you contact a decision maker. Right. Or you may pay a fee for a uh, number of face-to-face appointments, number of proposals. What I say to that, and I've seen that done, uh, what I say to that is you better have, and it's usually long sales cycles that that type of plan would support. Right. But the key to that is that you better have detailed training. You better do a lot of practice and role play so you know that the people are executing those behaviors and techniques correctly. Um, the other is pay on margin, a gross profit. Mm-hmm. Another thing, a plan should be in writing, and every term should be defined clearly and how, how the results are formulated. You know, gross profit. I used to go net gross profit. Right. So, I mean, gross profit or margin is selling price less cost of goods. Well, what happens if you got a lot of extra handling, assembly, whatever? So, and then the last is pay on top line. Right. And I, if you're going to pay on top line, you better have a very disciplined pricing model. Even a price book is what we used. Yep. So, lots of variables. You don't, you don't want the salesperson to have great flexibility on discounting if you're paying on the top line. Because what you're going to do is they're going to undercut everything to sell it. You're going to pay them a lot of money, and you're going to have no margin at the start of the job. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it's I spent many hours, and that's another thing I would say is you, you if you're just a if you're doing the sales as a business owner, but if you're going to grow soon, you're going to need a salesperson. You need to start to look at your numbers and talk about how would I bring somebody in and what type of person right. do I need and can I afford them. And that's why you better call Linda. Cause or or better call Mike over at Sandler. Well, uh, yeah, but I mean the numbers. I'm not a number. What I used to do is say, tell me what we should be paying these people. But we had good data. After oh, yeah. oh, yeah. No, yeah, right, yeah. Ab- absolutely call me, and I can give you some. Uh, okay, and how do they do that? How do they get a hold well, of Well, you know, focusbusiness.sandler.com is our website. And you can contact us through there. Now, there's a lot, a lot of info on compensation, so call me at 804-337-2898. And I do love the challenge of comp plans. And they're fun, and they can be very rewarding for the growth of the company as well as your professional salespeople. And just remember, if your salespeople are not doing the right thing, you're probably paying them to do that. There you go. (laughs) Thanks, Mike. Take care. Thank you, Bill. And we'll be back. Mike Carroll of Sandler Training here in Richmond. Do you know the three most commonly made sales mistakes? Are you or your salespeople at fault? Visit focusbusiness.sandler.com to download your free report, the three biggest sales mistakes you should never make. In this report, discover these unproductive sales strategies and what to do about them. Finally, take the pressure out of selling 
and reach your desired sales result. Visit focusbusiness.sandler.com to download your copy now. Hello, this is William Eastman, your host for Richmond Biz Live on WLE 990 AM. You know, when I prepare for my segment, Owner as Executive, I am acutely aware that this is the number one obstacle to business growth. So, why don't you make an appointment with me every Saturday at 10 o'clock to help you grow with your business? It will be the best 10 minutes of your week. We're back. This is WLEE News Talk 990, and the show is Business, Richmond Business Biz Live. Is it easy for me to say? And if you want to join the show, you can call us at 844-249-5483. That's 844-249-5483. Okay, it's my turn. And um, I'm picking up on the on my fourth session on the owner's executive. And so we've been a lot of places so far on the topic. Uh, I'm not going to cover all of them, but the, the issue behind this was in my initial um, session is that most business owners who have not had any experience working in the corporate world, one of the challenges that they encounter is that they don't understand as the, as the business changes, or in the case of you've been a member of a large organization, I have to change how I lead and manage. And in a large corporation, as you get promoted, you either, you either have to do it because you're promoted or you got friends that get promoted, you see it happen. In a small business, is um, change is demanded by growth. And if the owner can't change, then the business is not going to get any bigger. In fact, in the, in the business, we have a name for it. We call it the uh, founder trap. And so what I've been talking about up till now is how does the owner begin to change their role in the organization, begin to get layers between them and the people doing the work. And I'm going to kind of conclude that with, with the owner as executive, but more importantly, what does leadership look like if I'm, I'm, I'm still – I own the company, I'm still running it, I'm still in charge, okay? So what I want to do is I want to share with you something that I learned over 30 years ago uh, back when I was the chief of a uh, leadership and management school for a major military organization in the United States. Uh, And the deal here is that don't think I'm going to be talking about military leadership because, in fact, most of the research we did were civilians. Uh, We had to make the transition over to the military. This stuff is universal, Um, and so, basically, I want you to think about leadership in three ways. One is, um, or two ways. One is the role model, and the other one is accountability. Now, under role model, three things to consider here. Vision, focus, and embodiment. If I'm going to role model, if I'm going to go out on the floor and I'm going to tell people I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and, of course, as some of you who have followed the show know that I've one of the uh, services our company sells as a, as a virtual executive, I'm now the number two person in a manufacturing facility. And so I'm acutely aware of this right now. I'm living it. And so first thing I've got to do is I've got to provide a vision. I've got to provide people a a positive picture of the future. Uh, Number two is I have to focus the energy in the plant by starting with myself on how time is spent, what is the nature of conversations. And then finally, as they look around, it's kind of like Simon says, uh, people don't listen with their ears, they listen with their eyes. So let me take the vision piece, and that is providing a positive vision of the future. If we do what we need to do, here is what we can achieve. Optimism motivates. A negative vision does nothing but get people afraid. Now, I realize that if you're trying to make major change in the organization, you have to put a little fear in there. There has to be some burning platform to say, hey, we got to do this because of X, Y, and Z. 
But if that's all you do, then all you're going to have is people afraid. The second issue is on focus. And focus has to do with the content of your calendar. Uh, most leaders will say, hey, I want to do this, this, and this. And then they go back and they spend their work day doing how they typically work. And nothing about what they just said shows up on their calendar. So if you say that the biggest thing that we can do in our company is, let me take something that I'm living, we need to increase productivity by 15%, and we need to reduce cost by 15%. If we do, we'll make our numbers. What does the bulk of my day look like as the executive? It better be either around cost reduction or productivity improvements. And what is the nature of every conversation I have, both formal with people in meetings and informal with uh, people that uh, I just happen to meet. It all has to be around that. And then finally, the embodiment one is that I've got to understand that once I say it, people are going to look to me because I'm the person who better live it. And it is on me to understand that I have to look for opportunities every single day to demonstrate this is what the vision for the company is. And then on the issue of accountability. So those are three to consider. I'll have them up on the website with more detail. On the accountability the deal is is that you got to start holding the top accountable before anybody else. In most organizations, we hold the rank and file accountable. We do not hold the top of the company. If I'm going to say this is where we're going and this is what we're about, I start with myself and my direct reports and work my way through the organization. And I hold the front line accountable last, not first. Um, so here's some things to consider as you're look, taking a look at what is the role as the leader I'll have some more notes up on the um, up on our resources page. But now what I'd like to do is I'd like to change uh, topics a little bit because I, there's, there's a lot of hot issues out there for business owners that they need to attend to. And one of them is what is happening in the healthcare market. And so I, I asked a good friend of mine who is an expert in this field, Casey Quinlan, to join us and talk about what the current state is. So, Casey, how are you? I'm great, and how are you? I mean, it's a Saturday morning here in Richmond, and we're going to be here and maybe start some trouble. I'm good at that. You oh, you're, that. you're awesome at starting trouble. <laughs> so I, I appreciate you being able to come in here and being our featured guest today. And so I'm going to let you go with this because uh, I don't know that much about the topic because I have not paid attention. That's why I called you. So... <laughs> Go okay, there. well, I'm going to be coming in completely from left field compared to you know to the rest of today's guests, but it is a good lead-in or you know good follow-on to your uh, piece about leadership and some of the leadership decisions that need to be made to keep the company profitable and moving forward. One of the biggest innovations that is possible right now, but that most companies are not recognizing, is that with the the opening of the healthcare marketplace mm -hmm. pursuant to the Affordable Care Act. Etc. And some of the, the the bits and pieces around that law, love it or hate it. I'm I'm yeah. Neutral. This is not a political I'm show. I'm revenue neutral. So don't I'm call us about whether you like Please it. Please don't light up the phones. But it's anyway, the law. it's the law. What are we going to do? Right. Well, here's something that employers can do if they want to be smart. Employers can get out from under being in the healthcare insurance business. Now, it would require a smart employer to take, I would say, a 24 to 36-month view of this. In other words, unless you want to have a riot in your cube farm or on your shop floor, do not immediately just announce on Monday, by the way, we're not covering y'all's insurance anymore, because that would be a guaranteed <laughs> riot. And I'm not suggesting that anyone throw anyone else under the bus. But because of a short-term solution in World War II to wage freezes implemented by the War Department, 
that was the first that was the first iteration of employer coverage of health care. And that was because they couldn't give people raises. But by the 50s, that became institutionalized. Yep. And that has polluted the health care and you know, medical care, call it what you want. But that's polluted the health care payment system in this country ever since. Now, you, there are a lot of arguments out there. People would talk about they want single payer. They want um, you know, nothing. They, they want to go back to the way it was. I really think that going back to the way it was is not really a solution. I don't think that in our culture, our what I call John Wayne world, I don't think that single payer will ever fly. Uh, and also having dealt with Medicare, I don't know that I want it to. But I do think <laughs> I do think that. Um, so and, you are a little no, political. I, well, well, no, I just think I my when my parents were nearing end of life and I was managing their medical care, I got very familiar with Medicare. End of story. Anyway. Um, I think that employers that wanted to get out from under the, um, the, the requirement, they have a window right now. Because right. as the ACA deploys, and it deploys in stages, as the ACA deploys, it's not fully implemented across the system until sometime 2016 and after. Right. So there, there's a, a, a two-year window now. The employer mandate is on the bubble. So whether or not the mandate, in other words, a mandate that em- employers right. buy insurance for their people if they have 50 employees or more. I think that smart employers could look at this as a change management process. They could start educating their employees on how to buy insurance. They can help their employees form their own group. They can also identify insurance companies that would be willing to work with them. And then they get, you know, the employer gets out of the management piece. They can then turn that saving they won't see i don't think that they'll see that much of a revenue bump from this right. but they, it will be revenue neutral it may even be revenue positive but i think that revenue neutral is as good as we're going to get but that means that they can pay their people more and, and so that they can pay their own health and so people become more empowered and more engaged with their own health and their own health care and their own medical care and i think that we could see some positive change across the country in communities and in between people's ears with this relatively simple step although something that takes two to three years is not simple right but if you know if if an employer wanted to do this they could they could educate their you know say they're going to do it educate their people bring in some change management experts in this area and um and and start working on it and by the time they finish the project in two to three years they would be on the leading edge of what i believe is going to happen across the country Uh, I, I think I think you're right. I think the issue here is that it's important enough now that if they got ahead of it, that they would be in good shape. Now, I don't have you up on our website. I'm going to do that uh, tomorrow. Okay. But how do people get a hold of you? Because I think there's a lot of business well, owners that if, need to be talking to you. If people wanted to get a hold of me, uh, my main site is MightyCasey.com, M-I-G-H-T-Y-C-A-S-E-Y.com. I have several projects, but they're all linked there. And uh, another piece of why I'm so passionate about this is that one of my main focuses in the work that I do in healthcare, because I work mostly in healthcare as a journalist, um, is that um, I I really want to see price transparency in healthcare in the United States. And the only way to do that is to start an all payers, all transparency piece. And getting out of this most favored nation mess with employer backed healthcare is one of the biggest ways we can do that. I, I I couldn't agree more. Even though you and I disagree on just about everything. No, we don't. No, we don't. I think we're, we're, we're more in agreement than not, but there are some real interesting spikes. Okay, well, 
you all were at, having a glass of wine with us, you'd have fun. So, but uh, Casey, I think that people need to get a hold of you, and so I'll make sure that on the website, I'll give that, you a post that I wrote that's specifically about right. this and it outlines what employers right, can do. And we'll we'll put the link in there because it's coming and it's going to be the law, so it doesn't matter what we think. So, Amen. Hey, hey, I appreciate that. Good seeing you again. Good seeing you. Th- thanks for coming in, Casey. Okay, so here we are. We are now at that time of day where we've got about a minute left. So, and we've been going pretty fast because we've had some great, great guests on. We've had some interesting insights, and so here, here's what I want to close with as as we move forward through the week, and that is we've now done uh, seven shows, I believe. So we've talked about finance and brand and strategy and marketing and sales and owners and executive four shows. We've had three shows on thought leadership, on lean manufacturing, on uh, technology and the issue of HR. And right now what we have is a pretty good collection of information that I'd heartily recommend that you go to our website, richmondbizlive.com, and check the resource session. Um, This type of consulting is cost you tens of thousands of dollars, or if you bring in somebody like me to be a virtual executive, I can assure you it isn't cheap. You go to our website, you go to the resources page, you download it, you read it, and I think what you can do is you can get what you need. Also, on top of that is you've got the shows that you can download and you can listen to our podcast of all seven shows. So with that, take care, wealth, and prosperity to all. This is William Easton, your host for a revolutionary new approach to small business success, Richmond Biz Live on WLEE News Talk 990 AM. You can start by checking out our website, richmondbizlive.com, and download your program schedule. You'll find it in the resources section. Join us every Saturday at 10 o'clock for Richmond Helping Richmond, one hour of information, techniques, and tools that you can use to achieve your dream. Clear your calendar and join in every Saturday at 10 o'clock on WLE News Talk 990 for the most important hour in your week. This is Richmond's home for Money Talk with Bob Brinker. Sundays at 5 on WLEE Richmond.